Welcome, fellow human, to the Disorganized Productions Podcast. The show that fuels your spirit, ignites your potential, and helps you become the best version of yourself. I'm your host, Rob, and each episode will embark you on a journey to unlock the power within you, tap into your limitless potential, and conquer life's challenges. I was listening to a lot of podcasts of you to uh, uh, to get into the subject and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Man, <laughs> that, there is some scary shit out there. <laughs> oh, it's yeah, it's very dark stuff, and I guess it takes a special person to even want to do what I'm doing. You know? Yeah, absolutely. You get, you got to be very strong about uh, who you are and what you can do and what you can do, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, you got to. You have to be very grounded, and and be willing to stand by yourself in the field. <laughs> so, some people might see it as being me being self destructive, but hey, it's working. So, thank God. <laughs> That's all you need, right? Absolutely, um, man. You got to be got to be true to yourself more than anything. Yeah, absolutely. And grounding, I think, uh, especially when you're working in the business that you work with, is very good to know what's up and what's below, right? And yes, that, that you see the light once in, a, once in a while, especially when you're dealing with all these dark forces that could really fetch you up. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Whatever we're dealing with has a control mechanism. And I've experienced it myself where like, I'll get too close. Like if, if I'm researching something very dark, I'll, I'll get too close to it and I'll feel it kind of make eye contact with me. And that's when I shut everything down. Yeah. And like, I'll, I'll fly out to Rhode Island for a week or something. But yeah, I mean, whatever we're dealing with, it's um, it's extremely powerful. Mm. <laughs> to say the least. That's kind of a, an understatement, to be honest with you. Yeah. We're going to dig into some stuff today. I, I'm very excited about that. I will introduce you and then I'll give you the chance to introduce yourself, even uh, if I miss something or uh, if you want to correct me because I'm wrong because of my homework that I did about it's it. It's all good, brother. It's all good. <laughs> we'll make it happen, man. Thank, thank God we're pre-recording or recording, period. So, yeah, it's n- no sweat. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, dear fellow humans, today we have a very special guest. He fits in perfectly with disorganized productions. Uh, because the things we're going to talk about are disorganized and scary, to be honest with you. Um, this guest has a, um, is a great present for my birthday, because today is my birthday. And uh, we're going to talk about demons, uh, the devil, paranormal activities, entities that will scare you, ghosts. So turn the lights down, light a candle if you dare. Today's guest is Nathan, Nathan, I'm, I'm struggling with the name, I'm sorry, Nathaniel Gillis. And Nathaniel is a um, demonologist and ufologist. He's an author. His books are, uh, he has two books, A Moment Called Man and The Skin That Crawls. At the age of eight, he has his first encounter with something paranormal that was under his bed. And it was a girl with a pale skin, black long hair, and uh, later that being turned to be a shadow 
figure. Um, Nathan Neal, thank you for joining us. Please welcome and introduce yourself a little bit if, you, if I missed something in the introduction. None of problems, sir. Thank you. First of all, happy birthday. Happy birthday, brother. You turned 30, so congrats. No, I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, so for those who are not familiar with my research and who I am, my name is Nathaniel Gillis. And uh, for the last few years, my focus has been centered around the darker nuances of whatever this intelligence is, pouring into copious amounts of case studies in Witcher literature and demonological literature in ufology in the occult, and trying to make any and all interconnectivities between these respective disciplines. And so when I approach the research, I don't approach it uh, in the way that I believe that, that these are separate phenomena. The way I approach it, at least, and this is my working hypothesis, is that we're dealing with a singular intelligence that has diversified its identity throughout history. Hmm. And so essentially what I've been able to do is instead of build walls, I've been building bridges between entire fields of research. So that's wow. that's really what I do, and that's why I'm here. Mm. And it's been like more than 20 years that you're in this field of, uh, well, let's say the dark side, right? Mm -hmm. that, that yeah, in one way or another. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I got a lot of questions for you because uh, the first thing that, that came up when I listened to your podcast is something that screened inside of me just like, oh my God, the omen fallen uh rosemary's baby these are just like horror-based movies but you know what if you listen to one podcast with uh, nathan yeah i'm sorry for struggling with the name you, you can call me nate that's fine nate, nate. oh thank you very much <laughs> that's my they gift to you my friend <laughs> oh thank you very much oh i, I love that. that that's a little bit dyslexian uh, of me that that's struggling always but so um once you listen to a podcast with nate um, there is a lot of proof outside there and that he has encountered that are based on these movies. Am I right? Yeah, loosely based on, well, the movies themselves are loosely based on the phenomenon. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, the problem I'm having and other researchers are having is we don't know how to properly quantify this intelligence. Uh, I mean, at least my perspective, I 100% believe that we're dealing with the phenomenon that has evolved according to our awareness of it. Mm. And because of that, it's been present with us, but absent from us since the dawn of recorded history. And so what that means for us, the species is that the possibility exists that we can only know the phenomenon to the extent we know ourselves, because that is the, is how it's evolved. And so there is some form of symbiotic relationship between us and whatever this intelligence represents. And in many case studies, this, this phenomenon has employed and actually manipulated that symbiotic relationship according to its own agenda. And so what I've been mainly focused on as of late is the various cognitive interfaces the phenomenon employs when it encounters us the species. And most oftentimes, it is in fact a mask. It's a charade. It's a masquerade because it does not want us to understand what it is, where it comes from, and uh, what what Steve Mayer calls the source. Huh. <laughs> and that's very interesting because 
of course, a lot of people know that uh, in the dark, you have to be careful because these entities could be in the dark. Like ghosts, they, 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 will, they will show themselves in the dark and not one, two, three in the light. Is, is, that, is that right too? Is, is it something that, that's uh, also with the phenomena that's only when darkness falls and uh, like the witching hour and stuff like that, that right. we like to say? Well, it depends, uh, you know, because you have your different kinds of consciousness, allegedly, right? You have your poltergeist who just goes in and, and, and causes, just, just make, you know, throwing doors open, throwing papers up and just causing a hectic scene. Uh, and so, you know, other ghosts are seem to be stained, right, into that environment to where they, it's just, it's a looping, repetitive manifestation where you'll just be cooking food and the apparition will walk in and walk by. It, it always does that at that certain time. And so at first blush, when I was doing that research, I, I, can, I originally concluded what all the other researchers concluded was, yeah, these are two separate phenomena. And, you know, yeah, that's a poltergeist because it's just being elusive and being angry and trying to cause a bunch of, you know, crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and yet, you know, and the other one's just a looping form of consciousness. And the other malevolent entity is one that makes up. But, you know, I think, again, that we're dealing with the same intelligence that it'll it'll manifest as a poltergeist for 30 minutes mm -hmm. until it makes eye contact with you. And then you see how its pathology changes instantaneously. Yeah. Then you realize, wait a minute. Right, five minutes ago, it was just a poltergeist. When truthfully, it was something completely different, playing the role of a poltergeist. So, there is this, this, like I said before, the symbiotic relationship where the phenomenon will literally lean into archetypes, mm -hmm. and and with that archetype, there there comes characteristics, rules, that that the archetype allegedly follows. And so, what I've noticed here as of late is. The phenomenon will lean into those archetypes and, and give us the illusion of power, give us, right, th this ability to think, okay, you know, this this person, this, like, for instance, Dear Aunt Edna, right? Oh, well, yeah, Dear Aunt Edna is a big Chicago Bulls fan, right? Because what we're doing, right, is we're looking at the archetype, and with the archetype is accompanied characteristics. Hmm. And yet, in some cases, specifically within demonology, and this is kind of really what got me into my field, was that you're looking at, the mask, and then you're looking at the intelligence behind it. Yeah, at any point in time, that intelligence can lean into the archetype and spew propaganda. And then at, when it wants to, in a time at its, choo its own choosing, it will transcend that microcosm and it will break all known laws to which we are like, oh my God, Why? right? There, is, there was something hiding in the darkness all along. And we, and I'm not, not just researchers, but practitioners alike, we did not understand right? That there was something in the ether that was wearing various masks in order to deceive us as a species. Wow. And is it, is it something that you can bump into or can these things also, uh, well, let's say if, if you go to a haunted house, there could be some paranormal activities. Uh, if you go to a graveyard or if you go uh, somewhere where uh, there was an accident or a murder, you can encounter these entities, right? But can they also, uh, let's say, take a bus and 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 go to another place, or are they stuck? Because I got a feeling that they are always stuck in this uh, momentum or in this time loop of the house or or the place. Mm -hmm. 
Well, yes, they can. And I want to make sure I answer your, your question correctly. You're asking if they could like commandeer the body of a person and then drive the van or the bus or something like that? Well, so you're, yeah. Could they hop on the bus and go to yeah. another town for I got you. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought you were saying. Okay, yes, yeah, absolutely, sir, absolutely. And I think that right now what we're trying to understand is, okay, we know the rules the alleged mask follows. You know, horns and hooks, it's a demon. Mm -hmm. And a demon does demon things up until you read case studies where in literally, quite literally, in the middle of the experience, the phenomenon decides to say, okay, I'm going to implement a program that overrides the mask itself. And now I'm breaking all known rules. And so we've seen that over and over again. Now that entity, the intelligence behind these facades, um, we have yet to understand whether or not it follows by any rules at all. Hmm. It, it, it's possible, my friend, that the, the laws, rules, and characteristics we have believed it to possess throughout the years is a lie. Strictly designed to, to get us into this gloomy labyrinth of deception and at the at the point in time of its choosing, instead of zigging like the mask or the archetype, it zags. And like I said before, then you realize, wait a minute. First of all, I'm not the one doing the conjuring. I'm the one that's being conjured. And that's the danger we're facing right now. Hmm. And this is something that... Uh... Because I, when I was listening to uh, a lot of podcasts that you did with, with several people, I was wondering, um, could it be that if you are open to these entities or if you're emotional, like 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 you said on some podcasts, that people that are struggling with depression, uh, mm -hmm. with uh, uh, suicidal tendencies and stuff like that, that are, they're more open to these entities so they can fit in or or get possessed by them yes so it's almost like we possess a heat signature right and it's a moth to a flame but some of these entities have been known and i've had my own case studies where they've demonstrated this specific pathology but they've been known to take a normal experience or a normal person who's never had trauma in their lives ever and then <laughs> orchestrate a situation where something extremely traumatic happens to this experiencer and then that entity that intelligence will then return and then yeah then it will start feeding off of the trauma that it created i had a case study back in um covid years and uh it was actually a family friend where her and her husband called me they were in the middle of the parking garage at the er and uh they said nathaniel you know that it's interesting because it's one thing to help people that you don't know. You know what I mean? And I hate to be like that, but it's like, okay, you know, it's it's much more, it's difficult. And it's really as difficult to help people you do know because if something goes wrong, it's like, oh my God, right? We're going to have to go to church together. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. Anyways, long story short, uh, they were telling me a story about how they, they were just in the ER. It was during COVID, so they weren't actually allowed to accompany their daughter into the hospital. But, uh, their daughter was suffering from gastrointestinal issues, like literally doubling over, vomiting. It's really, really bad, nasty stuff. And they didn't understand it at all. Like, where's this coming from? You know, we, we're not allowed to see her. So they asked me, you know, is there anything that you could tell us? Like, are you getting any insights or anything? Hmm. Well, 
to my astonishment, to the left of me, like I'm on real time, I'm talking to them, right? In real time, and on the left side of me, and people aren't, aren't going to believe this because and, and I, I rarely talk about it, but just, just follow me. On the left side of me, there was this apparition that appeared and um, I could see it. It wasn't like physical, right? But I could see it in my mind's eye. And he had a mustache. He smelled like, his name was Dan, and he smelled like cig cigarette smoke and B.O. And I knew that Dan was a rapist. I don't know how. But all of a sudden, this entity begins to confess to me what happened to this young woman that's in the hospital and whose family I'm talking to. And when I'm describing this individual, the mother begins to bawl. She starts breaking down and bawling her eyes out. This happened to be, it's crazy. I don't understand it. You know, just because I experienced it, I do not understand. Doesn't mean I understand. Anyway, so I'm 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 giving the the details about what this guy looks like and everything. You know, the mother starts bawling and she says, Nathaniel, that's damn, that's my ex-husband. That is so and so, the girl of the hospital. That's her biological father. And I said, all right. I said, well, uh, what he is telling me is that there was an entity that assaulted her and created this, again, symbiotic relationship by virtue of trauma and that it orchestrated an event in her life about two or three years ago. And now it's coming back and visiting her and her dreams and feeding off of the fear it had created. And so I said, uh, it's wild. I said, I've never been in your house, but I'm in there right now. I said, I could tell you your carpet. I said, I'm actually looking at a rocking chair and then there's a fireplace and then there's a couch. Weird. I, I don't understand it. Um, anyways, I said three weeks from now when she gets out, I would like to do sit her down and uh, just tell her some of what I've told you. I said, because what's going to happen is once she starts to get the help she needs from this event, it's going to close the door on that entity that has been trying to haunt her. And so sure enough, three or four weeks later, I get a phone call from the family. We set her down. She started bawling her eyes out and said, yeah, she went to a college party, got to the party early and didn't know anyone. She was meeting a friend there. Mm -hmm. Goes to use the restroom. A big man pulls her into the room and assaults her. And then she goes, she tells her mother, she, her mother, she goes, mom, she goes, what I don't understand is the clone, the, the, the masculinity, the persona of the man that assaulted me, it's exactly like the entity that's manifesting to me in my dreams. Wow. So yeah, once we closed that door and she started getting help for her PTSD, that entity, it's almost like starving it, right? Because it, it no longer has that source to feed upon. So these, there are beings that have that pathology where, yes, they will, they will create entire situations and that then step be, into the mortal portal of pain and trauma. That must be very intelligent consciousness then. Oh, my I God. mean, if you can yeah. shape shift like that and uh, dealing with emotions and sucking out that what you want, be ma manipulative, did, did, and as, as you described in, in, in several uh, podcasts, because I haven't read your books yet, but I'm going to get that 100%, uh, because I'm very fascinated by the subject. But uh, these entities could be thousands of years old or hundreds of years old, and, and they 
they're still around. It, it's not right. something like, okay, there's a new thing coming. They, 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 they already, they, they keep on living from the, from right. the dead or from the living. That's the question, of course. They feed themselves yeah. by the living. Yeah, there, there are, there's is evidence, I should say, to suggest that we are some sort of food source for these beings. Hmm. Like the entity I encountered in my youth as a child, it would, uh, it would project terror upon me. And so I'm an eight-year-old kid hiding underneath my covers in crying, like I'm shaking in fear. And then I could feel something slowly taking energy from me. And so this gets, it gets very deep, very quickly. It's really told. I've, I've, I've heard maybe one other person that is not me teach on this specific understanding and tradition, but I created a coping mechanism, you know, as an eight, nine year old kid, I think it was like between the ages of eight and like 15, mm -hmm. I was going to school with it. I mean, my friend, I was going to sleepovers. In waking up in the middle of the night, like I was like nine years old, right? So at that point we were all kids and, you know, so my, my best friend was sleeping with his mother in her bed. I'm in my best friend's bed and I'm, I promise you, I'm literally hearing something walk up the steps. I could hear the floorboards creaking and I'm, I'm looking at the only other, <laughs> the only other people up in the, in the building right across the hallway. So it followed me. But what I what I realized, and it's it's interesting to me, because it, it a lot of this stuff fascinates me. But this entity would project terror upon me as a child, and it was almost like if I agreed with the fear, mm -hmm. and it's one thing to feel it, right? If yeah. I agreed with it, then it had more power. I, I was giving it more consent, and then it began to create more uh, more of a symbiotic relationship with me, and so. What I learned in those years of development, I'm teaching other demonologists I'm mentoring, and you, you're going to love it. I'm teaching people how to feel the fear without being afraid. Hmm. Because now something... you can experience it without conceding to it and consenting to it. Ah. Yeah, because they, they, they feed on fear, on, on, on bad emotions, let's say, uh, sadness, depressions. Um, when you're emotional, like a, a train wreck, like we say sometimes, right. then then there's something that these entities can grow more about. And mm -hmm. one thing that I want to point out is, it was really fascinating for me to listen to you that, first of all, it was more like a burden that you could see some things that other people couldn't. And now you're working with it because just like you described from telephone call you got from the hospital you can see you can go to that room um is, is this something that that has been developed throughout the years or was it something that when you were like this eight-year-old kid um uh, saw the first phenomenon that that it was triggered in you or something like that the great question my friend my very first experience with that particular for the lack of a better term gifting i guess gift whatever I was 15, was dating a girl, um, long distance relationship. She was in South Carolina, Charity Pinson, absolutely drop dead gorgeous. I mean, beautiful. Anyways, I'm in Dayton, Ohio, which is a little bit away from where she is. So we're dating and 
I'm, I'm in the drive-through of a steak and shake and my dad's get some cheeseburgers for us. And out of nowhere, I get this weird feeling of indigestion. And then I, my consciousness is outside of a house, standing inside of a lawn, some sort of lawn. And I'm watching this car pull up and I'm watching my girlfriend, Charity, <laughs> get in the car. And I, I'm literally, it's weird. I, I was all knowing at that point. I know her, knew her thoughts. I knew the guy's thoughts. I could smell her perfume. I could smell his clone. Wow. And yeah, so she cheated on me and I, I refused to call her. I didn't talk to her for like two or three weeks. And then finally, when I did answer my phone and we start talking, I told her exactly what I saw. She starts crying. She says, Nathaniel, I haven't even told my mother that. So that was the first time. And there have been, there have been instances since then where... And I'm not trying to be grandiose or anything. I'm just just putting it out there because I don't understand it any more than anyone else does. But there is a probability that I've been seen in two places at once. When I was, when I was, uh, when my ex and I, I should say, split up. She's in Rhode Island. It's not a relationship. She's in Rhode Island. And she has a new boyfriend and everything. Well, I'm watching movies with my dad at the house. And all of a sudden, I'm at the beach in Rhode Island. All of a sudden, I'm eating pizza in Rhode Island. And I told my dad, I said, I don't know what I'm experiencing. I don't know where I'm at or, or what's going on. I said, but I'm with Ellie. Like, my consciousness is there. Mm -hmm. And then about two and a half hours later, I get a phone call from Ellie's best friend chewing me out one side of the other man i'm telling you it was crazy and are you in town is what she asked me are you in town are you at the beach uh i i hope the i was you know i was trying to watch a movie yeah you know what happened she wouldn't tell me what happened but she basically implied that i i had shown up without telling ellie went to the beach stalked her and was seen by her and i'm like no, I, you know, I, I even told my dad, I said, do you remember me saying that? He goes, yeah. So it's weird. I don't understand it. Um, but it, it happens. It happens sometimes. Well, it, it's just like um, if you're waking up in a dream or, or when you realize that you had a dream, which is so vivid and so clear with the smell and with the, uh, uh, the, the, the things that you hear and stuff like that. But somehow you can project yourself to the room that's happening uh, where something happened or just go to yeah. basically traveling around the world, just like astral traveling. Is it, could it be like something like that? Yeah. Yeah. I don't really have the, the vocabulary I need for this. Uh, but a few years back, I, uh, I went to a trance. It was like two in the morning, a trance. And I, I remember a portion of it. I remember dialing the phone number, but I called a guy named Jason and I had not talked to Jason in probably a decade. You know what I mean? It's kind of like one of those guys where you know of him, but you, you guys aren't buddies. Mm -hmm. Well, anyways, I call him and his testimony, his account was, I began to describe his office that he was sitting in at his desk when I called him. And I said, right now, I said, I'm looking behind your door and there is a staff. And the staff itself is twisted at the top. And it has a scripture carved into the wood on the sides, right? 
and it was from the book of Psalms. And I said, is that there right now? And Jason's like, no, you know, you're crazy. Uh-huh. You know, you're an idiot. Like it's too late at night. <laughs> what did you add? <laughs> Adam yeah. <Pills>. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Some gummies. And, uh, years later, he never told me this, but he went out to dinner with my, my father and Jason's like, you know what happened to me the other day? And my dad's like, no, he goes, I was in my office reading. And he said, I came over something, I came across something very profound in my research and I started crying. And as soon as I did, he said, I looked behind my office door <laughs> and there was the staff that your son Nathaniel told me about. Now watch this. When I had called Jason and told him that the staff itself was not even in existence. What this, what actually happened was yeah. Jason went to a church kind of organization shindig. You know, they're playing volleyball and, you know, all that stuff. A cookout, and he won the cornhole tournament. This is like years after I told him that. And when he won the cornhole tournament, the guy in charge of the camp was like, hey, Jason, we have a prize for you. One of our church members is a woodworker. In last week, he hand, hand to God, I can actually, I'll show you a picture of it. And um, yeah, he said, I, I, he said, for some reason, I, I just felt compelled to, to create this, this staff. And so he gave it to Jason. I'm pretty sure I had it. Somebody. It's fascinating. It's like traveling in time, seeing things, but just like these beings that are somewhere stuck or just show themselves right. on several occasions, on several times, which is really fascinating. So, uh, of course, people are talking about several dim dimensions and we can see not that much of a spectrum. Uh, dogs and cats and, and animals could see. And, and of course, like side sidekicks, they can see a little bit more or feel things and stuff like that. But as you, as you describe this, it's like, you're, 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 you're pointing it out, you see it, mm -hmm. and what really fascinates me is because it's after a few years that it shows up, mm -hmm. that, that's, that's something like, oh, wow, how, you know? Right, right. It wasn't the thought, if we're, if we're talking specifically about the staff, the man that made that staff did not even have the thought. Exactly. Until years later. And so, yeah, huh. through time, yeah, it's this crazy stuff. I mean, I've done, um, yeah, I mean, so, so sometimes that gifting does operate, and I've been able to help a lot of people with it. Uh, when I was working at an engine factory, Honda engine factory, and I was starting to get into my field that I'm in now, and uh, kind of getting, not popular, but known mm -hmm. by the community for what I do, uh, one of the workers at this plant got my phone number from a good friend of mine who, who also worked with us. He calls me at midnight and I'm on the phone with him. And he says, Nathaniel, he said, I, I need some help with my daughter. He said, I think that there is some kind of attachment or, or entity that's after her. And I said, who is Emma? And he said, that's my daughter. I said, all right. Now, by the time I uttered the words in them. I was already in a vision. And I said, right now, 
I am retracing the steps of this entity. I'm telling people won't believe it, and that's fine. Mm. Doesn't make it less true, right? <laughs> <Exactly>. um, <laughs> not to be a shout about it, but people that's a great story. Well, I don't know, podcast. Yeah. People are like, I don't believe it. I'm like, oh my God, you don't believe it. Therefore, you know, no. It happens re- regardless of people believe it. Anyways, so I'm talking to this gentleman and I said, well, I'm, right now I'm retracing the steps of this entity that's haunting your daughter. And I said, now I am in her birth mother's house when her birth mother was 15. And I said, I am in the corner of the ring when her stepmother was walking in. And I said, I'm watching him pull his leather belt off. And I said, I'm looking as the mother opens the door, looks in, and shuts the door, allowing that to take place. And I said, this is a familial attachment that's trying to groom her, just like that entity did through the stepfather. And so once, I mean, half the battle is trying, is understanding what exactly is going on. Mm. You know what I mean? Because once you can see through the veil, it's pretty, it's, I shouldn't say it's pretty easy, but it's easier it, yeah, yeah. to take it out head on. Well, I think you, you also need some stuff like that to to deal with the situations that you get in, right? Right. Because it makes it, it makes it makes you more logic for you. Who, what kind of uh, entity am I dealing with? What's the time perspective? You, you were telling mm-hmm. it also in podcast. You know what happened when, so I know how uh, what kind of corner I can look at. Uh, because the girl you 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 found under your bed she was like eight years old black long hair but she had some clothes on this line and she she was a beautiful little girl i mean i promise you like any father would be like oh my god you know what i mean she's, she's a doll baby and i can say that now because i'm older when i when i was her age at the time i'm like oh cool i got me a friend we're gonna go play we're gonna go play and hang out um but yeah that that entity was appealing to my kind nature and appealing to the, now this is going to be wild and it's going to get deep very quickly, but this is indicative of the phenomenon and how it masks itself. So when that entity manifested to me, it manifested to the senses I utilize the most. Mm. Eyesight. Which means that because that entity is not what it appeared to be, what that means is that we have the probability of being blinded by our own vision. Huh. And that's really fascinating because sometimes, uh, well, I, I did some uh, psych, uh, uh, psychedelic drugs mm-hmm. and you are in the same place as you are and because of these drugs, the, these are triggering some some kind of chemical stuff like LSD or some uh, um, some mushrooms and stuff like that. And you can see stuff that isn't there. And that's really fascinates me too, because it's it's like what you say. It's like there is something maybe already that you don't see in reality, what's reality anyway, right? That you can see when you have some um uh, so, some drugs, basically, but also when you open up for these things. You know, like you said, you do a lot of grounding and stuff like that. If you're probably down to base. Uh, maybe they will come. Uh, maybe you can see it easier because you're mm-hmm. open to it. To what are what kind of entities are more in these dimension or, or stuff that you that you um, um, that that you experience in life, right? Yes, sir. So 
what you're hinting at, I mean, you're basically about to walk all over its grave, is the fact that there is an inner potential within us as a species, and this potentiality that exists within us as a species is being manipulated by the other. Mm. This is why when when we encounter the phenomenon and it employs the cognitive interface, it's it wants you to believe it is who it's appearing to be. And with that scenario, when you believe in the mask, you are furthering, you are empowering, further empowering the intelligence that's wearing it. Mm. And so from from let's say step one, where it appears, let's say, you know, Uncle Ted. And then it appears, it's assuming, or actually not just assuming, but it's almost courting the human condition. Do you believe I am this individual? And then if the experiencer says, yes, I believe, then that intelligence, like I said before, will lean into that archetype. Ah, to the point where there are case studies I have where women, you know, they're, they're, they encountered an intelligence that wore the mask of the husband or the boyfriend. And when they, when they agreed with the image, like, oh, okay, it's just a dream, like, you know, whatever. When they went along with the image, that entity stepped into that archetype to the point where it's no longer a role. Like, I had a case study in India where a woman was being haunted by, she thought it was one entity. But it had manifested to her in the images of all seven lovers. First, this is mind-blowing too, because you start to see a victimology and path- pathology here. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, the lovers who were not forced to wear protection huh. when they were intimate. And so what is it doing? It is it is modifying its appearance to this archetype. It, I mean, look how intelligent this is. Intelligent, yeah, the species gets... And I have ADHD, man. My mind goes really yeah, fast. Yeah, yeah. And I can't catch it's up. It's, so forgive it's me. Branch is like a squirrel. I always. Yeah, yeah. And I love that. But <laughs> what I don't know is it's modifying its behavior to that archetype, modifying its appearance to that archetype. And here's the thing: you did not make this image wear protection the last time. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to wear protection now. And so what I know, what I realized to my utter astonishment was that was the intelligence increasing the probability of insemination by manifesting first as the lovers who were not wearing protection. And it is something that, um, for example, she, or in this in this example, that she saw but others can't? Or is it that something Pretty that much. she experienced but others would say, okay, you're talking to ghosts or we don't see anything? Right. Well, yeah, most of these accounts are when they're alone. Yeah. But yeah, so that's, again, that's a pathology often employed by this intelligence where, and I'm going to, I got to be careful what I say because I'm giving a lecture in, in England on this specific subject. But On the 17th, right? Yes. 17th of uh, February, ladies and gentlemen, you can see him live, Nathaniel. I think now I'll pronounce it good. Nate. There we go. There we go, buddy. Little... Yeah, yeah. But this it's it's my my ADHD too, and I was very excited and a little bit nervous also. But um no worries. You were given a scripture in, in England in Manchester, I think it is. Correct. Correct. I think it's Bolton Hall, I believe. But yeah, so 
yeah, the, the phenomenon will employ cognitive interfaces, quite literally. Sometimes it will even pluck memories out of the mind. And it will wear that, right? It'll tailor its appearance in order to deceive the experiencer. Hmm. And so what I've been looking at lately is like, okay, like how can we pierce the veil? You know, because the reason these beings like to do that and masquerade as other entities or other individuals even is because it wants to inspire belief in us. It wants us to go along with that mask. And so it's important to realize that in times past, when an entity donned the mask, it would zag, 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 and do everything according to what that person would have done, where the experience is like, of course, this is Uncle Ted. It, it has to be, right? All the time. Yeah. And, but the whole purpose of that, my friend, is it zags, 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 not to just zag, but to get you complicit so that when it zigs, you're God's already zagged to the point. It's like, okay, you've made such a commitment. Of course, you're going to go with this next step. And that's like I said before, that's when this, this singular proto-intelligence steps out in the open. Mm. And now you're realizing possibly for the first time, what is that? I, that my, my girlfriend, she works in a, in a mental health institution. This, this is a place where um, 150 years or something like that, history, and of course, um, the, the care that they get now is not like 100 years ago, like lobotomy and stuff like that that they did on, on, on people with mental health. Mm -hmm. And um, she had a great question because she wants to know, and she knows that sometimes uh, people who died there could clam as an energy to you correct and she wants to know how to protect herself for that or what to mm -hmm. do if somebody is uh popping up in your house right so so if somebody clamped to your to your energy because i think it's maybe that's to do with the energy that we have the life energy yeah. Yeah. that they need that to to get along and to to be Yes, sir. In these, in, in classic demonology, these were known as generational curses or familial, not familiar, but familial spirits. Uh, I think it was like 2018, I was at a restaurant and uh, a friend of mine brought a friend of his over to see me. I didn't know her from Adam. She was with her boyfriend and this is outside of the patio in the summertime. They sit down across from me and I'm, I'm reading a book, smoking a cigar. I'm like, okay, you know, like what's going on? You know, first of all, you know, how are you? Greetings, that kind of stuff. Small talk. Mm -hmm. Well, once the formalities were gone and, and through, we started talking and uh, my friend said, okay, kind of tell Nathaniel why, why you want to talk to me. Because she's like, okay. So she starts going into the story. She said uh, at a house, like 30 minutes away from where we were, it's a place called Springfield, Ohio. She said, my best friend lives with her grandfather in a very old house in Springfield. And she said that about a week, about not a week, about two days ago, she said, my best friend's grandfather ran out of the house and into the lawn screaming that there was something chasing him out of the house. He had a massive heart attack and unfortunately died. 
Well, now the, the, the his granddaughter, which is this girl's best friend, is saying, you know what? Obviously, I don't. I, I inherited the house, but I don't want to go back in. No. <laughs> right? Yeah. So as I'm talking to her, the only way I can describe it, my friend, is I saw a black cloud just descend down upon her. And I, it was weird. The hair in the back of my neck stood up and was like, okay, we've got to deal with something. She's like, well, what do you mean? I said, there is an attachment of suicide on you right now. And then, this is strange, but it happened. Uh, I said, and furthermore, I said, I do believe there is a grandfather involved. And I do believe there is a girl around your best friend's age involved. I said, but it's you. And I said, this spirit of suicide is familial. It has stalked your bloodline. And now it's come to collect. And when I said that, the, I mean, she just just bursted out crying, bawling her eyes out. She's She's got her head in her boyfriend's chest. And I said, what is this that I'm feeling? Because, and I started going down, you know, it's destroying relationships. And this guy, the, the, her boyfriend was a pastor's kid. And his mind was like, what do I do? And I'm just, you know, right, doing my thing. <laughs> well, um, come to find out, she said that, her grandfather killed himself in 2014 in the last few months because they were very close but she said the last few months the paranormal activity began to to kick up around her and increase and she said that she felt suicidal and so what a lot of these entities will do is like they will claim one and they'll come after others in that family bloodline and they'll use the fact that hey i got one I'm going to get you now too. So it's very strange, but you know, when people ask me, okay, when you're dealing with a real entity, what is it like? And the only way I can kind of explain it is, is you're dealing with a serial killer, a highly evolved predator, extremely intelligent, can almost smell fear in a victim and its entire agenda is to deceive to the point where it gets what it wants. And that's the best way I can explain it. And um, of course, you're probably familiar with uh, Supernatural. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm looking now at season seven uh, just to get my, uh, to, to rock my socks off and to do to do some uh, other stuff than podcasting and working and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, we see a lot of familiar, familiarities with um the exorcism and, and stuff like that. The salt, the iron. Uh, not everyone has a dragon, uh, dragon blood uh, sword lying in the house. But are these things really? Um, can they do harm to an entity, or could you protect yourself with them if, if you encounter one? Yes and no. Here's the reason I say that is at least my current model of demonology that I inherited. Hold on, let me back up. Says, my current model of demonology is not what I inherited. Let me clarify that. But the demonology I inherited from my youth would say things like, well, you know, if God told Satan that he could he could touch and, 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 and afflict Job, but he couldn't actually kill him, then that must also apply to you. And yet what I realized is that there are holes in an argument. And so there are times, that, and I've, I've read case studies, even Malachi Martin, who he was dealing with an, 
an exorcism and the city had taken the body of a little girl and he was mentoring another individual and researcher at the time and he told his assistant he said when they first pulled in to the parking lot i think it was in connecticut little girl walks up to the car he rolls down his window the little girl looks right at malachi martin and says you think you can save her but she can't and so that's when he told his assistant like whatever we're dealing with this is probably going to be the, the most difficult demon i've ever encountered in my career well he's performing these exorcisms in there unsuccessful like with one case study with this one little girl uh-huh. and so he would he would perform the exorcism and then he would go back home eat and kind of get get back to normal and uh one night he was in his study he was on a ladder reaching for a book and uh, according to his testimony out of the corner of his eye he saw a shadow figure that ran by and when it ran by it kicked stool the stair stool out from underneath his feet which sent Malachi Martin flying and, and Malachi Martin hit his temple on the corner of a table. So again, this goes back to the idea, okay, is do we really have to completely deconstruct mm. the propaganda employed by this intelligence? Because what these are, to me at least now, for now, because my theories are always evolving, but they're archetypes designed to, to number one, to manufacture consent within us. So it's no different than when, you know, if you're a gamer or not, I don't know, my brother is. So when you, you you turn on a video game and you're going through the characters and you have this this archetype, this mask, this avatar, mm-hmm. and with this avatar is a company, right? Characteristics, abilities, disabilities, yeah. Yeah. rules, things he can do, things he can't. And then so you pick that character. And so you have all these rules that, again, is within the program. And then suddenly another program overrides that. And now it starts to demonstrate victimologies and abilities, pathologies that did not fit into the character you picked out in the beginning of the game. Wow. So, right, what are we truly dealing with here? And this gets back to the idea of like the skull experiment in the 1990s, which it was a group of parapsychologists and psychics and researchers who gathered together in one house, in one location, were performing seances, but their whole goal was set up around communicating with the afterlife or someone in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of one of their seances, an alien gray appears to them, and they're taking pictures of it. It happened on my Instagram account. Oh, yeah, All I saw that blue. Alison right. Garvey, Crowley, they yep. did the first one. Absolutely. It was the same entity, right? Oh, looked like it appears to be. Yeah. Yes, sir. But that case study, the skull experiment, terrifies me because, again, what this means is, right, so, okay, I'm going to be contacting Darren Edna. We're going to try to document any evidence of the afterlife. In the middle of all of that, out of nowhere, an alien gray appears looking at them, completely blue. And, again, this is what I mean by this intelligence when it wants to. Mm-hmm. Right, it can just manifest something that we didn't even know existed, and it's like adding another player. What is that? Why is it here? You know what I mean? It's strange. Could it also have something to do? We see a lot of alien encounters nowadays, uh, UFOs, stuff like that. But is it something that we we put in the ether about thinking about it? There's more uh, disclosure and stuff like that. So 
more people are, are thinking about it. I think Ether is very intelligent. It's a database that's all around us. And because we are thinking about these things, these things can uh, manifest themselves. Yeah, absolutely. That's, it's, it's the illusion of power. It's the illusion of power that we see often with this intelligence. This is what another aspect of the phenomenon that disturbs me is how it will attract its a prey. Like, okay, let's say it's a predator. In the way a lot of these predators in nature will operate, they will give their prey the illusion of power. And in order to capture their prey, they will appear as something their prey wanted to capture. Huh. And so the entire time, that that entity, that let's say it's a bird, for instance, is believing, okay, I've got this thing right where I want it to be and not realizing that they're not the hunter, they're the hunted. And I think that, that entire concept can be attributed to the practitioners where they're going around saying, okay, like Tim Taylor is a scientist, you know, he's going to an undisclosed location in New Mexico and he's building an altar. So what he's wanting us to believe, right, this is fascinating, is that he drives an hour out of his way to an undisclosed location. He modifies his diet and his behavior before he gets there. He goes around and collects uncut stones, never cut by the hand of man. And then he organizes, this is fascinating, it's hilarious too to me, organizes this uncut, it's called an earthen altar. And then after all of that, he wants to then turn around and tell us, you and I, that he's conjuring that entity. And I would suggest, no, he's the one being conjured. And what I fear is when we're courting this intelligence and trying to, oh my God, you know, give me insights, give me access to the other world, convincing ourselves we are the predators, we have the potential to become the prey. Oh yeah. Huh. Do, do you know Tim Morisov and, and Dark Ghost on, on YouTube? Yeah, I've heard of them. Yes, sir. Um, because it fascinates me, these are also uh, paranormal hunters i would say uh and especially these guys i think the, these uh tim comes from poland which is a very stretched fast uh uh big country and he goes to these uh haunted uh villages and and, and houses where witches lived and he goes there and he has all these emf and and all stuff that he 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 tries to uh, to capture ghosts and paranormal activities, and guess what? He, he does, and it scares the hell out of me sometimes. What what happens, right? Because we can't explain. You know, you you could say if you look at one or two videos, okay, this could be tricked and stuff like that. But right. nowadays, you can also say, wait a minute, there's too much. Uh, projection and too much videos that that you just can't say yeah you can't just fabricate right yeah just yeah. just like uh people like me me like i'm uh 85 kilograms which are just pushed to the to the wall or get dragged on but by, by something that we do not know so it's very strong it's powerful and these people are of course looking for that kind of stuff right <laughs> right they think that's awesome and they're like oh my god it's, yeah, I mean, to their to their credit, some of it is. It's really fascinating, I think. It is, yeah. And and 
when you were doing your studies, so so with with fifteen, you had your first, um, let's say that the, the visualization going on and stuff like that. Uh, when you dig into that topic, wouldn't you be afraid or scared at night? Because I would, you know. When the lights are on, that would be okay. When nothing strange right. happens, but when the lights are out, it's just like, yeah. That, yeah. So that's exactly that's exactly what I did verbatim. You know, when I was in that haunted house, I was just trying to survive. Like I said, this intelligence was following me to school, following me to go, you know, hang out with my friends, sleepovers, and so I I realized like it's it, for the foreseeable future, this presence is going to be with me all the time. And it, when it, when it manifested, again, this is incredible, but for whatever reason, it made me want to feel like I was being watched. And so it didn't matter what I was doing. I was, I was always feeling like, oh my God, something's in the darkness watching me. And so that, that phenomenon would kind of build itself up. And finally, it mutated to its fullest agenda, which included a black and white looping nightmare of someone committing suicide. Then I would wake back up after like five or six loopy loops of it. I should say I'd wake back up and I could feel this, this presence in the room. Just, it was terrifying, you know, it was terrifying. Uh, and occasionally, even though I'm 35 years old, occasionally I'll be alone some nights and I'll smell something or I'll feel something. And then I'm right back in that room as a child. It's crazy. Did you get rid of the entity that, uh, yeah. So first of all, obviously I told you that, that I, I implemented a coping mechanism where I felt fear without being afraid and essentially starved it to death. And so it was weakened. And then finally one night, I don't know if it was his last, last hurrah or what, but it was very strong. And I remember going into the bathroom, crawling up in the corner of the room and just shaking and crying. And the only thing I knew how to do was just, or the only thing I knew to do is I said, okay, God, I said, I, and I remember saying, I don't know what this is. I don't know why it wants me, but please, please take this away. Mm. And out of nowhere, it was almost like, yes, yeah, somebody turned the lights on or something. It wasn't like, yeah, some, some entity grabbed it by the neck. No, it was almost like a new presence was introduced. And because that new presence was in the room, it pushed the other darker presence out. Wow. And so since then, I mean, honestly, that, that kind of, that, that experience, it gave me some form of immunity to where I've been in case studies where they've had to cut up the carpet because the murder took place. Mm. And, you know, I'm talking to the family and the husband stitched up from the, the, the person that stabbed and killed his wife and also tried to stab and kill him. And yet, you know, I wasn't as afraid to do these cases and in these investigations as I was encountering that entity in my youth. And is it something that uh, people that are depressed or have suicidal tendencies that they um, forget about the positive things in life, about the light, let's say, God? Mm -hmm. I mean, what's the perspective of God? Of course, if everyone has another perspective of it. But um, isn't it something that when you think that you're all alone in this in this world and and, and everything you know um fetch you up and you're depressed and stressed and stuff like that that you don't see the light that darkness comes faster to towards you and can manifest 
in you, right? Yes, sir. A moth to a flame, and and we've seen that. I mean, there are case studies that are they're everywhere. So that that does have a rich history in not just Witcher literature, but demonology. Yeah, and so the problem is, and this is something that I'm also fascinated by, is that we need to start looking at their victimologies. Mm-hmm. Like in, in incubi cases, succubi cases in antiquity and, and in the Middle Ages, we, demonologists, when we when we first got on the scene, or not me, but like Father Sinistra of Amino and Montague Summers, they hypothesized that this intelligence was were sourcing secretions from humans but sourcing them based on the vitality of the man in the fertility of the woman. And yet witnesses, eyewitnesses said that they were looking in graveyards in where freshly dug graves were present. Inside those graves were, were recently hanged men. And yet there were lights hovering over those fresh graves. Now, in my research, I connected that to the actual handwritten grimoires given and produced by these practitioners who said, no, we're not, we're not sourcing our secretions based upon the vitality of the man or the fertility of the woman. We're sourcing them based upon their the efficacy and how, how they can be used within the context of ritual magic. Now, if you take that and you take that blueprint and you look at what's called scatology, which is, again, the, the, the harvesting of secretions and excretions, it's virtually identical to what we're witnessing being taken from experiencers in the UFO abduction phenomenon. Mm. Now, might I suggest that because we, in times past, we never linked these, these two fields together, might I suggest that whatever this intelligence is, is also sourcing their secretions for the same purposes, not just the vitality of the man, not just the fertility of the woman, but based upon the efficacy of these secretions when used in ritual magic. That's a game changer. What that does, and there are reasons why I feel I have the freedom to to say that, but what happens then is our old model of ufology and our old model of demonology, both of them are flawed. We have to have a third category here that's large enough and encompassing enough to include both fields of research without compromising one or the other. Hmm. But it makes it more interesting because you're connecting the dots between several things that could be the same and explains it in a way to make it more logical to think, hey, wait a minute, this is not like one entity. This phenomenon is based on harvesting energy, if it's going to be on, on a person and, and it's a, a dark entity or a shadow person in the room, or it could be something that um, gets some life juice out of uh, a dead, because when you just freshly um, been, been been buried, I think that, you know, and, and the, with the Ikubai and Sukubai, it's, it's just like, yeah, how? And it's something... That we can wrap our head about uh, head around, but mm-hmm. the other way is why not? I mean, right. everything in life is well, life and death comes together, and it's the same thing when if you walk in nature as I do, you see some new uh, trees uh, growing up, 
Uh, but you see also some old ones, but they are um, mushrooms are and stuff on it that mm -hmm. harvest the energy from the old tree to get life again. So that's very fascinating because it's like the cycle of symbiotic relationships. Symbiotic relationships. Exactly. Hakuna Matata, I think it, they call it. Again. There we go. What's up? Yeah. Yes, sir. And yeah, so we've seen this intelligence lean into the symbiotic relationship. And it was so fascinating to me is that there are case studies, copious amounts of these case studies, where you could see the pathology, you know, the symbiosis between the intelligence and the experiencer. You could see that in real time as it evolves where it, it, it leans heavily on that symbiotic relationship. And then, and then before long, that intelligence went from being symbiotic to being embryonic. Hmm. And now that entity that, that these women were encountering in their nightmares, now it wants to be reborn in their wounds. I'm telling you, ufology is not ready for this, my friend. No, no. This is a, even demonology. And I'm just saying this because I stayed up all night last night researching, you know, the stuff I'm researching now, they're not ready for it because their models are not prepared to deal with these implications. Mm. Because if, if the, okay, for instance, when you go back into the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, our very first ufologists were not just ufologists, they were practitioners. Mm-hmm. Albert Bender, George Hunt Williamson, okay? Individuals like, like Albert Bender literally built a, a, an altar in his attic to contact extraterrestrials. Huh. George Hunt Williamson, a contemporary of Albert Bender's, was creating homemade Ouija boards in contacting extraterrestrials. And so there is this ritual, um, there, there is this connection between whatever this intelligence represents and ritual magic. Hmm. If that exists, and it does, it's it's more than exists. It's, it's something, I mean, it's, again, it's like baked into the intelligence itself. But because of that, it opens the floodgates. It allows us the intellectual freedom to start playing with new models because the exactly. old models are failing us. And, and in fact, good. And, and be, be, because there, there are, uh, more people like you who dig into some topics and um, really um, investigate in it and dig deeper in it so you can connect the dots easier. And if you see like entities that we know, like the, the Elohim and stuff like that, and, and, and fallen angels, uh, watchers, uh, shadow people, you know, it, it's all something that we can grab our head around, but they're all in a, in a different box. But they should be all in the same box because we don't know what it is, and they manifest in in in, in the several several same way somehow. Right. Absolutely, yeah. Their victimology is the same. Their pathologies are the same. The cognitive interface employed by this intelligence, they're the same. And this is why, okay, like when you look at incubi encounters, yes, they were collecting semen samples left on the dresses of the experiencers. It's no different than Betty Hill. Absolutely no different. The only difference is ufology was, oh, that's incubi. That's completely different than what we're researching. It's like, no, you're not. In, in, a, in, in a major way, my friend, 
it's almost like this phenomenon has co-authored these these lies, mm. allowed us, inspired us to believe, number one, that these are separate entities, separate intelligences, in, in that they're not a proto-singular intelligence. Now, what kind of an entity is willing to diversify and denominate its own identity in the eyes of others? It's because it does not want us to understand what's going on. Here's why. Because if we take the experiencers of Ikebi, we take experiencers from UFO abduction, sit them down and compare material evidence, mm -hmm. no different. No different. That's fascinating. That's very fascinating. And, and because of that, my friend, if we, again, if we look at the scatology in witch air literature, scatology, uh, the sourcing of secretions in demonological texts, if we look at those case studies and compare them to the UFO abduction phenomenon, then we have to ask ourselves, is that model of sourcing secretions flawed? We, again, UFOlogists fell into the, the trap of, of what ancient or old demonologists did. Well, yeah, okay, yeah, it's the vitality of the man and the fertility of the woman. What if sourcing of secretions was for ritual magic and how well they would work? Hmm. That would mean that the, that the victimology's changed. Mm -hmm. All of it's changed. And I think that in order for us to evolve alongside of this phenomenon, we have to think outside of the, the coffins it wants to place us in. Mm. And it's fascinating that if you look at uh, modern times, uh, we hear a lot of about child trafficking, about sacrificing and stuff like that. What if that is something that's been harvest by the occult since the the beginning of dawn we, we don't know i mean there's there's light and darkness of course um that's fascinating too you know because maybe we can see nowadays that um that we see that, that we lift up the veil about what they're doing and they uh what what they're preaching and and why there's bad stuff happening in the world um very fascinating to think about it. It's deep stuff, my friend. It's deep stuff. That's that's you know the stuff, but I, I like you know, deep stuff somehow. <laughs> me too, buddy. Me too. You know that the models that that we've been using for the last fifty to hundred years they don't they no longer work. And there is a reason why. Even even individuals like Tim Taylor, he's a scientist. He's literally building altars to contact this intelligence. Now, what this means for us as a species is it's possible our timeline is flawed as well. Right? Yeah. Because altars did not originate modernity. Altars were built in antiquity first. And if the altar is what they're using to contact the other, then can I suggest that disclosure will not happen in the future because disclosure already happened in the past and that is when the first altars were built? Exactly, because when you're thinking about before Christianity, like right. uh, Mesopotamia, they there were, uh, well, Christian called them pagans, but the, these were people that um, didn't have a belief system that was uh, just, okay, God tells me what to do, but they said, okay, now I want like uh, fertility and stuff like that, and they prayed for the God mm -hmm. for fertility, and when they... Uh, got a child, you know, the, the women get pregnant and they, they uh, she bear a child. Then they made an altar for that mm -hmm. God. 
And right. so that makes perfectly sense in what you say, but because it's it's something that it's not like, um, oh wow, it's happened just like the last decades of stuff, decades of stuff like that. It's like the beginning of human beings uh, depends on on what skill that you in and and what belief system that you believe. And of course, getting back to the beginning of the podcast, when you want to visualize something and you want to believe in something like an entity or if it's going to be Yahweh or it's going to be Buddha or it's going to be a soccer, someone from a soccer team or something like that. Um, when these entities have the same consciousness as us but have more features to right. project that to us, <laughs> that's like, oh, that that's God-like, right? Well, yeah, let's look at some of their capabilities real quick. Dr. Carla Turner had a case study, and she was an abductionist, and she was working with a, a lady, and this lady told her that years ago, she was at a cookout at her house, like the 4th of July or Memorial Day or something like that, and she has family and friends over. They're outside cooking it up, living it up, you know, and, uh, and all of them looked across the street, and she said over one of the houses of the neighbor, like the neighbor that owned the house, this UFO was hovering over. It was actually with them. They're looking at this UFO as it's hovering over a house across the street. And she says, Dr. Turner, I vividly remember pulling out binoculars and giving him, you know, going down the line, give it to my, my, my neighbor. And they're all looking through binoculars at this UFO. She said, I remember doing it myself. She said, matter of fact, I can remember going inside. And, and she said, I had just ordered a brand new telescope. And she said, I remember opening the box and pulling the telescope out. And we're all looking through the telescope at this UFO. Mm -hmm. She said, but the next day she woke up and realized there's something wrong. She said, because I don't own binoculars. She said, and when I, when I went into the basement and found my telescope, it was still in its original packaging where the tape itself was undisturbed. So literally, the phenomenon just implanted an entire memory that she's basing her life on, and it the memory itself was fraudulent. That's fascinating. It brings me back to maybe it's a favorite subject, but if you're dealing with addiction, if you're dealing with you know um, people that 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 drink. They 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 gonna have sometimes once once or maybe twice uh, in a life or multiple times they have that uh, that night just like oh I don't know what I did right right so blacked out they blacked out yeah but you can black out and really black out like the the uh, the drunk uh, dead bodies that you can gonna see uh, mm -hmm. with Mardi Gras and stuff like that mm -hmm. but you also have sometimes like oh really did I do that and you don't remember. But somehow right. your vessel, your your consciousness did some things, and then the day after, they tell you what you did. And that's fascinating too, because sometimes you don't know it, and sometimes you, just like you just said, right. you could remember something, but is it real? Right. Right. And this is another aspect of the phenomenon that concerns me deeply, because it's almost like this intelligence does things to us, with us, through us, in us. And, the, and because it doesn't want us to remember what occurred, 
will replace the actual memories with fraudulent ones. And this has happened over and over again in the field, especially with abductions. You know, you have experiencers who they really think, okay, yeah, my the beings I encountered were love and light. And so they actually have this entire virtual reality scenario in their mind of what occurred. And then 10 years later, they start having PTSD symptoms, panic attacks. They go do deep memory regression sessions. And all of a sudden, the, the images and the events that the phenomenon had literally pushed underneath the consciousness of that experience, they come to the surface. And now the memories of what happened, now they, you know, they complement huh. and directly correlate with the amount of PTSD they're suffering. And so this gets back to, okay, well, if they're all lovers and light, then why do quite literally, why are they wiping memories from us? Mm. And the, it makes no sense. The, the other thing is how fascinating is it when you, when you do regression therapy that, uh, People claim to have, you know, lived different lives that, that that somehow comes to the surface in their lives right now. It's like, oh, uh, I, I was uh, this Indian, or maybe you do a regression therapy, and they tell you that, and you can relate to it, even with marks and stuff like that on your body, that you, uh, oh, I don't know where I got that scar from. You know, it, this one is right. is when I cut it myself, yes. or that one, I don't know. And that that brings me to the to the other um, uh, subject, Nate, that I want to talk about because it's very fascinating. When um, uh, one of the podcasts you told me that, uh, or you told us <laughs> that mm -hmm. there was this um, this girl. I think it was a girl. She was possessed, but uh, doctors were listening yes. to her story. Book phenomenon on the 16th century. Yeah, yeah, and she. When she died, they did an autopsy, and they found scars. Correct. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, not to interrupt you, because I was I was going to go into the 16th century and the D-Book phenomenon. Yes, this is one of Father Sinistroy of Amina's case studies, where he had been working with a family, and uh, she, the, the wife herself was an experiencer of incubi beings. And uh, at one point in time, she the, the, the wife... She died, and the husband called upon Father Sinistro of Amina and said, listen, why don't you join our other family physicians? We're, they're going to do some kind of autopsy on this body, and uh, because you've worked with us as a family for many years, we want you to inspect the body and see if you notice anything left by this creature, the vicinity. And sure enough, when they pulled her eyelids back, that creature had carved symbols into them. You know, the problem that we're facing now is, number one, it would be ignorant for us to assume those symbols were carved into the bodies for us. We don't even know what they mean. So exactly. if we, so it was almost like the, the the more likely, the more likely scenario is that entity was carving and marking the dead body to find it later. Number one, number two, branding underneath her eyelids, branding her in an effort to communicate and ward off other entities that would come across her for the same reasons. Because honestly, they had no idea what it meant and neither should they. They shouldn't. No, and it makes no sense normally. Mm -hmm. If if you if she would just normally died and they didn't do that kind of uh, autopsy, because I don't think, if, I, I don't know, I would never been through that. 
to do an autopsy if they look at your eyelids and stuff like that. Um, but it's really fascinating that what's the purpose of doing that, right? So is is like a mark for others? I uh, um, for others to to see. Okay, this is my. <laughs> This is my prey, or you can you can uh, right. harvest your energy from here. That's you know, you're asking a brilliant question. And one thing that captured my attention was if the entity did carve. I mean, this is all this all has connections to the occult and, and ritual mm -hmm. magic. But anyways, if the entity did carve the symbols underneath her eyelids, then every night when that woman went to sleep. She's looking at the symbols that belong to the entity that was hunting. So this, again, this gets back into their pathologies. Um, yeah, it, it's it's eerily similar to the serial killer in the sense that, okay, I have an identity. And by virtue of the simplification of language, I'm not going to carve my full name. I'm just going to carve a symbol. Mm. And I'm going to mark what I feel is mine. And in... Like I said before, this is another interconnectivity between ritual magic and whatever these intelligence represent. These intelligences represent. Sorry, I can't talk today, guys. Yeah, but but it, you, you just want to point out from the story from the 1600s. Uh, was it that man that 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 was found with, with several carvings in his chest? Mm -hmm. Yes, that was the remote viewer whose family I have been and am working with. Yes, so this individual was a renowned remote viewer. And he would go in and out of his body, and whenever he would meet with his guides, we're gonna we're gonna bring this on home in a second because you're not not I'm not talking about in terms of ending the show, but we're gonna start to flush out some of these ideas. Mm -hmm. But anyways, each and every encounter with his guides, it was always in a metallic ring, and they would flake him on the right and left, and then he would say, "What's the password?" or give some kind of inclination. And then the the guides would give him, okay, this is what you know, this is the word or this is a symbol. He would know, number one, I'm at the right place at the right time with the right guides. Uh-huh. Well, in one particular session, this is coming from his son, whom I I'm friends with and talked to him. He said in one particular session, he's like, the son he told me, he said, Yeah, I was downstairs. And it was just like any other night. You know, my dad was upstairs doing his his session. And next thing he knows, his father's stumbling down the stair stairway. He's inconsolable. He's bawling his eyes out and he's clutching his chest. And he had a massive heart attack. And he said, as we're, we're wheeling him in to the, 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 the hospital, we're pulling his shirt off and everything. And he said, as we're pulling his shirt off from underneath the skin, subdermally be, started moving to the surface. There were religious amulets, three of them. One was the Jewish Star of David. The other one was the cross. And the last one was an arching Egyptian hieroglyph. They started from underneath the skin and moved themselves to the surface. This is what I mean when I say that they're played by different rules because they're playing a different game. Yeah. Those amulets will never be used together by anybody at demonology mm -hmm. because exactly. we were let right because we were we believe that's antithetical. That doesn't even make sense. Why would you do that? And yet they three are different all, things, right? Correct. Again, are they? They're playing by different rules. And, and in order to play by those rules, they have to keep us in the darkness as to what's truly going on. Mm. And that, 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 
Oh, this is so fascinating, mate. This is really <laughs> fascinating. I, I love I love that because the, the, there are so many things popping up in my head, and I hope I, I will I will ask all the questions that uh, that I wanted to ask. Oh man, oh man, that because uh, that brings us also to religion, right? Because a lot of religions are based on the same thing. It doesn't matter if you're in China, in India, in, in America, uh, Catholic or whatever. They all have the same red line. But that mm -hmm. comes also with the sightings of uh, these entities. You know, if you go to Mexico, you see something. Or in India or in China, they describe mm -hmm. all the same stuff. But to sure. connect them together, right? that makes sense. Because then you can say, just like if you're looking at religion oh wait a minute this is the red this is the red uh threat that goes through it mm -hmm. so th th this could be factual and if you do that the same with what you're doing right now just like okay if if you if we're not going to put them as a separate case but we're going to lay them together and see what familiarities they have Absolutely. then it makes that's sense that's good research then you can see from what kind of culture what kind of scriptures that they have Mm -hmm. what relates to the subject, right? Yes, sir. And if I may touch on this, because I, I was going to, when I was talking about the guides, what what some of us in the field are discovering within the context of experiencers and experiences is that there are people within the New Age movement who have guides. And so they'll lean on the guides for information, like for 25 plus years, right? Mm -hmm. And then suddenly, when the UFO abductions take place for the first time in their lives, they'll go back to those guides. And those guides will either be completely absent, unable to find them, or they'll be eerily silent in these events. Might I suggest that if we are dealing with an intelligence that has denominated and diversified its identity, we we have the ability and the possibility, and this is fascinating, it's disturbing, but we have the probability even of thinking that the guides are a separate intelligence entirely than the intelligence that's abducting. And so what's happening is, this is incredible, what's happening is the intelligence abducts them. And, in, and it's like this, it's like, okay, yeah, Dennis Rader kidnapped me. And so literally what's happening is in order to understand what Dennis Rader's doing, they're going to go to a separate person altogether. And they land over, and now they're, they're consulting with the BTK killer. You see, you got it? You got it? Yeah. Not realizing, not realizing... Man, that uh, that the the these this the singular intelligence is in charge and leaning, like I said, into the archetypes of both. Wow. And what happened was this essentially is when they went to one program, which was the guides, they did not realize that there is another program that superseded that one, and that is where the intelligence is evolving. And so what we cannot do is question, oh my God, I cannot believe what Dennis Rader did, and then go right back to the BTK killer. 
not to get get understanding because what happens then is now that intelligence realizing okay okay now it starts to manage the experiencer's perception of it hmm and what's fascinating also is that we think as a human we are a very intelligent species mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people think about a creator call it god whatever perspective you have over god but now what you are saying is there's something in well let's say in between that has divine things and unbelievable features of a godlike being or entity and is above us because it can manipulate us it can project us on several images it could be it, it it's like um what's it called um uh, like skinwalker stuff like that, you right. know, it, 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 that, uh, why not? I mean, because right. What are we dealing with here? What are we really dealing with? Mm. This is why I, I believe wholeheartedly that it is targeting a portion of our existence that we ourselves are ignorant of number one, and that it's keeping us ignorant of number two, right? And it's been Again, documented for thousands of years that these kinds of things, you know, like from above like above like below mm -hmm. i mean everything has dual duality so why not right right and it's not a yeah it's not a dichotomy here it's a duality yeah exactly because everything has a duality so why not you know something that's spiritual more spiritual with the consciousness and uh we think we're conscious but are we you know is 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 there what we what we have now what we uh uh where we're in right now, is this the reality or is the reality when I close my eyes and I go, you know, dreaming? Right. Which would, which would, if we go down that, that road, now we have to ask ourselves if, if these entities are manifesting to the practitioner or if they're manifesting through the practitioner, huh? Are they the, see, again, if we're looking at the entire scenario, of of them giving us the illusion of power and saying, okay, yeah, and I built this entire altar, and yet I'm convincing myself I'm the one conjuring you, not realizing that it just wanted an altar, and you built it. Ha! Huh. You see the intelligence behind it's like, oh my God, it is it's so present, and in many ways it is courting the human condition. Ha! Huh. It. I just had a thought. It's about the metal thing, you know, that uh, right. this culture that 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 didn't know he had to do to, to make the metal, and there was this consciousness in this metal, right, right. But what about that? Things could be in in the in the past could be sculptured or made without the maker knowing it that he's making it, but an entity right. wants it, right? Yes, and that's that completely sent. Absolutely, my friend. So that's exactly what I'm saying here. It's literally where we do a, we perform a series of events, series of chores. And we're doing that because we are told there are certain reasons behind it. And, and really what is happening in my perspective is that, yes, we're doing everything that they want us to do, but we're doing these things for completely different reasons than we originally were told. So this is this gets back to the symbiotic relationship, right? 
where, you know, yes, I, I need to knock on your door to come in, but you need to build the door first. Hmm. And there's just this, you know, this, again, uh, symbiosis present. But, um, yeah, we don't know what we're dealing with, and we don't know how much control the phenomenon has over us. Huh. Are there ways to... Uh... Let's say if if you are uh, positive alive and stuff like that, and, and you see the light, you you ground, you, you do sun gazing, good diet, good stuff, like st- stuff like that. Um, I listened to one of your podcasts, and, and you say everyone could encounter a demon and could be a victim out of it. You know, w- w- some of them they wouldn't uh, will haunt you, and the other ones will possess you. Right. Um. Is the only way to uh, to protect ourselves uh, being in the light, being positive, uh, eating healthy, stuff like that? Don't get depressed. Don't get the the, the bad emotions where they could feed on, and probably do not go to a cemetery like twelve. Uh, uh, well, no, at midnight. I wouldn't recommend to, it. I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, you know, no, and and to drink some spirits. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's fascinating to me because and I've been thinking about this all all night last night and all morning today. But you know, it, again, we have to trash models that no longer offer meaning or value. It doesn't really matter, you know. And in the trashing of these models, there are a lot of people where they are so built into that model where it's like they feel like they're dying as well, like they're being destroyed with it. Their worldview is fractured. And it's not my intention to, you know, scare people or to disturb them into their own destinies. My intention is to bring awareness to the various incarnations of this intelligence. And not only that, but to to tell everyone, look, yes, the incarnations may be modern, but the incantations are ancient. Which are that would mean our timeline, my friend, is off. Disclosure happened in antiquity. Huh. We're just now realizing, oh my God, these are the same intelligences, right? That that were, yeah, that are operating in antiquity and modernity, both of them. And there are a lot of these timelines happening right now. Just like the if you see like uh you, yeah, we were once living in the wild, wild west. Well, how mm-hmm. do some buildings come there when we only have, you know, Riding a horse and we we carrying a buggy. It, it, it makes no sense. Right. If you oh, go here, I'll give well, you one. I'm sorry, I'll give you one. I'll give you one real quick. It'll blow your mind. So, there's what's called the ritual of teraphim. Okay, mm-hmm. it was one of the methods of self replication that the beings I call the molters would employ. It's one of their method methods of self replicating new species. But the phenomenon wants to convince us that. In history, the primordial man's sitting by his campfire out of nowhere decides to extinguish that campfire, repairs himself to his personal quarters, goes and finds the smallest piece of metal he can, carves the name of an unclean spirit into that piece of metal, and then implants that into a corpse. Yet in the consciousness of that entity, now commandeers that biological avatar. It has a new body. 
what we have now is the image of what once was invisible. I'm supposed to believe that happened by accident? Huh. No, it was intentional. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so this is the idea, that, again, the illusion of power. And, and I put a, an Instagram post up a while ago talking about, yes, with the illusion of power, we convinced ourselves we were the predators. We convinced ourselves we were the conjurers, not realizing that by the time we were ready to conjure them, they had already conjured us. Uh-huh, yeah, exactly. I wanted an altar. That's all I wanted. Well, I'm here to conjure you. Okay, that's fine. It's disturbing because what we're what we're realizing is that this intelligence is demonstrating such a a measure of control mm. where there are rules they play by that we're ignorant of. The, I mean, again, with, with the, the case study of the amulets, I mean, my God, I have photographic evidence of this case study, and it looked like these were like a mathematic equation. Like it, it made no sense. And so if there is, let's go with this. It was it looked like, and, and the son agrees with me now, that whatever these entities were he encountered that that looked inhuman, it virtually they appeared as his guides. When he realized, wait a minute, this is more, this is weird. They changed their appearance. Anyways, what they're demonstrating are characteristics of sorcery, my friend. Hmm. Which would put us right where. We were, right, of building altars. Yeah. Or in the name of all of that. And which would also give us insight as to no wonder Jet Parsons had success conjuring these beings. Yeah, he was friends with Crowley, right? Correct, correct. And so the old model that was, it was binary to our own demise where it was either or. It's either science mm -hmm. or it's spirituality. And yet the, the model itself that's being presented is saying, no, those are not dichotomies. Those are dualities. Exactly. Huh. <laughs> that's, that's something. You know, we can talk about hours about that because every time when you bring something up or when you explain something, uh, something new pops up. I don't know what you, 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 of course, have a time schedule. I don't know even what time. I don't know how long. It's 519 here on EST, but how long have we been off for? Uh, I think like almost two hours. Okay, we could do another, I don't know, 10 minutes or 20 minutes. Uh, but this is what, this is what, you know, I'm realizing as well. And here's the thing with me, my friend, is there are other demonologists uh, that want to hold my feet to the fire and say, listen, you know, you're not a Catholic demonologist. And I'm like, well, these demons are Catholic demons. Mm -hmm. Right. And, yeah. and further, furthermore, demonology as a discipline must be understood within the larger context of the phenomenon. Hmm. Talking about that, I got a question for you. Mm -hmm. Let's say I go to, to Arabia and uh, my Arabian friends, they have a belief system, uh, like just like Bill said, they're Muslims, right? And they see a jinn. Could that jinn also uh, clam or possess me? Yes. Yes. Now, yes. Now, there again, we were, now we're dealing with different religious traditions. The jinn hypothesis is one that's interesting to me personally. 
because they believe that these beings have their own seed, that they're the ones secreting, right? They're the ones inseminating literally from themselves. And uh, I'm going to go give an incantation and I'm going to read it to you and then we can end it. But it's going to blow your mind because you're going to be like, wait a minute. No wonder this makes so much sense. I'll be right back. Where is it at? Mm -hmm. I think it's right here. Okay. Now, in demonology, this is the very first time I've done this on a show. In demonology, there are a series of entities that demonology is known for, mm -hmm. right? The seminal case studies. Number one, incubi. An entity that, that appears to a woman in the image of a man. Mm-hmm in order to inseminate her, right? And then after the insemination, then you have the fetus, mm -hmm. right? Then you have, you know, something going on with the hybrid. All of these are occurring at the same time. So you have the entity, you have the seed, you have the dream state, which is why demonology called them dream demons. Mm -hmm. They would usually manifest to the female when they were asleep. And then they would create within the womb of the woman a hybrid entity, right? Watch this. Or even, matter of fact, possession itself, right? The commandeering of a body. I'm going to read what's called the ultimate black mass in all of those buzzwords and concepts we just agreed upon. Mm -hmm. Let's see how many of them are present within just one ritual. You ready? Okay. When an aging magician or sorcerer reaches the end of his life which he knows is very near by reason that he is losing his potency he seeks a young virgin he makes her pregnant that's ikibai so he could be a game changer you huh. have to think different he makes her pregnant watches until she has been with child hybrid mm -hmm. at least two months now he takes the mother to a place which he has consecrated to whichever god he is working under Laying her on a bed covered with his altar sheet, he lightly drugs her. We've seen that in witcher literature. We've seen a UFO phenomenon, or phenomenon, right? Uh huh. <laughs> like I said, my 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 uh, my mouth doesn't keep up in my brain. Now here we go. He lightly drugs her, puts her into a deep sleep. Dream demon. By the side of the bed, he has ready a candle, a book, and a handbell. The girl falls asleep. Leander. I mean, I'm leaning towards this stuff actually occurring. And this is why they don't want us to remember the event itself. Exactly. He rings this, he rings the bell over the girl's stomach, stands it on her stomach, and then sends. You ready? Uh-huh. Now we're dealing with the missing fetus syndrome. We're dealing with the hybridization program. Incubi, dream demons, see all of them. Ritual magic. Oh, yeah. Self-replication of species. Uh-huh. Hear this, O oh unborn child. Move over, move over, move over. You are you are a part of me. I am more powerful than your body. He's talking to the fetus. Uh -huh. Your body belongs to me. Get out of my body. I am in me, and thou art me. I merge in you. Get out. Then he goes into this. Wow. Oh weak, oh weak spirit born of my seed. That's the incubus. Right? Get out, oh weak spirit, move. Make way for my mind and my spirit. 
You will make room for me. Move out, move out. I am more powerful than me. In what, again, in just one ritual, one, oh, we could sum up the entirety of demonology. You want to talk about possession? He's possessing the fetus. Hmm. You want to talk about possession of pregnancy, the debut phenomenon of the 16th century? Yes, he inseminated her with the fetus. You want to talk about, like I said, the incubi encounters? Absolutely. He's an incubus. He appears to her in the image of a man. Okay. Is he a dream demon? Absolutely. He induced her into a dream-like state. Wow. Now, in one ritual, my friend. Wow. Oh, man. What are we dealing with here? Again, this gets back to the self-replication of species mm. and how ritual magic may. Uh, and that's, that's the full extent I'm willing to commit at this point, but I'm collecting evidence that's more than suggestive. It's an indictment. Huh. Not an accident. That no, ritual no, it, magic contacts them. Why? Because this, the ritual magic characteristic they're, 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 they're employing and demonstrating, that may be closer to their real origin mm. than the scientism we're teaching on and oh my god yeah they're all scientists what if this is the source yeah 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 as only one page one yeah it's a look at this i mean this is insane absolutely insane uh who wrote, who wrote that it's a, it's an incantation from a grimoire and then this is this is called the ultimate black mass but there's also what's called the red right where another, you know, like I said, a magician or something, if he suffers a little blow, he realizes, oh my God, I can't survive in this body. So he creates another one for himself. Guys, this, I believe, 100%, this is why in the Apocrypha of John, they were creating copies of their apparitions. Huh. Right? Literally, babies that bore the material image of their apparition. This is exactly what he was doing. What they were doing is creating bodies that mirrored what they looked like. And it's been documented. It's it's like, it's already there. It's hard in plain sight. Only you have to, you have to look into it. You have to connect oh the dots with all this stuff. Look at this. Right, yeah. This, this particular, just one ritual. We have the sea, the semen. Mm -hmm. We have the hydrant. Mm -hmm. We have the host. Yeah. We have the dream demon. We, the victim is sleeping. We have possession. We have pregnancy. The presence of ritual magic. The disability of being. Where the magician, the sorcerer, says, listen, I've got to be a being. I have, but I have the disability of being. Being without being a being. So I have to self-replicate. The incubus. All of these. Ten characteristics. What? In one ritual. In all. Man, I'm pumped up, man. In what this means, though, this literally. In one ritual, it took the models of the phenomenon we thought were were inherent in 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 monolithic mm -hmm. static they're they're you know they're solidified it said no 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 what we're witnessing is a single ritual and we've compartmentalized it wow but th that makes so much sense because we were talking about and during the podcast we were connecting the dots about several things that I'm I had on my mind and all the stuff that you know like you're an expert on that stuff, but it makes more sense. And and now you got the evidence that it's that it's made more sense because it's it's just like there. Yeah, 
Wow. Yeah. I mean, what are the odds that, I mean, quite literally, my friend, possession, pregnancy? Yeah. What do you mean? Odds that all these things combined are are one Richard. Yeah. You know what this means? This could also this this could also imply that if I was a researcher who went around saying, okay, yes, there's a hybridization program. And then I spent 70 years denominating this intelligence and saying, okay, yeah, well, we're, we're talking about the hybrids. We're not talking about ritual magic. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm doing here? Oh, I'm talking about possession. Not, not None of that stuff. And so for what? We got 10 different fields of study and not realizing this is a single ritual. But it also means that we are humans could have the capacity to do that and replicate ourselves because where the light is, is the dark. And you can take it from a dark perspective, you know, like the rituals in the occult, but you can also think there are probably beings that are like hundreds of years old that are in the, in the positive, in the light that could do that, you know, and, and, you know, define angels. I mean, you know, uh, Lucifer was an angel. That's a whole other show, but that's another show. Yeah. Well, I got 10 questions for my guests always, but I want to make it 12 because I got one. Go ahead. I got got two questions that I want to ask you just before I'm going to take the the easiest one. What's your perspective of the devil? I don't know. Here's what. Because there's a scripture in the Bible, I think it was in Isaiah, where he's talking about Lucifer. And people are going to say, well, Lucifer's not Satan. Whatever. Just Mm -hmm. go on this. You were perfect in all of your ways until iniquity was found in you. Now, if Lucifer himself is the author of iniquity, does that mean there's we're dealing with mass, right? What I told you before, the archetype and then the actual intelligence. Yes, you were perfect in all of your ways until iniquity was found in you. So you mean there's something else out there? Wow. Scary stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Deep stuff also. Uh, the other question would be, probably you, you you feel on your word of what that question will be. What What's your perspective of God? I think he is an all-encompassing power. Now, I do have, I, I, deep, I struggle deeply with human suffering. You know, the ability for one human being to completely snuff out the life and consciousness of another to the point where that individual is suffering and they're begging to stay alive and there's no supernatural um, interference or some kind of saving grace. I I struggle with that deeply, but I've experienced God. I have been in what I would consider to be his presence where it was undeniable, you know, that there, whatever this was, was in control, but then that would imply that he's allowing at the very least a lot of this to occur. I mean, even to the point where, you know, some of these abduction accounts are pretty horrific. So, but I do believe in God. Good. Okay. Now I got 10 easier questions for you, Nate. <laughs> All right. 
So, uh, 10 questions I got from my guests. Uh, Nathiel, what's your favorite color? Black. What's your favorite? It's not, it's not because I'm goth or anything. It's not because I'm a... I just, no, no, no. Just, just black. Okay. Color. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's your favorite music? Jazz. Mm, slow jazz. Slow jazz. Not big band. Okay. What's yeah, your favorite? Cigar smoke. Cigar smoke. A dimly lit room. A piano. Oh, yeah. And these little rat uh, labs, you know? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. A glass of scotch on the rocks. Oh. Yeah. Anyway. Oh. <laughs> I, I now visualize some good stuff, too. Yeah. Yeah, and you're like, it's your birthday. You can do that tonight. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's 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 pink now, but I can make there it red just like that, man. <laughs> there we go, buddy. It's Phillips. It, it's really cool. Just like, boom, and it's red. Just like that, the belly. Uh, what's your favorite uh, film or series? <clears throat> Frasier is my favorite series. My favorite my favorite film is Tombstone. Tombstone. In, in Vino Veritas. Yes. Vino Veritas. Oh, I know that from the Boondock Saints. Oh, man. Yeah. You know, if you haven't watched Tombstone already, it is Doc Holliday, unbelievable, untouchable performance. Yeah. I'm going to you check that you one. Retired too. You retired too. He's like, not me. I'm in my prom. Just the, oh, my God. So favorite <clears throat> show of all time is Frasier. Favorite movie of all time is Tombstone. Okay. Your favorite book? Um, Research Lab, Quest for God. Well, actually, two of them. Idea of the Holy by Rudolf Otto. It's a transcendent, incredible Quest for God. Uh, Rabbi Heschel will make you weep. I mean, like when I read how he, the way he writes, it connects with the soul so deep. It's like, oh my God, like he's, it's incredible. So those are my two favorite books. Right. Uh, favorite booze, but I think I you answered that question already. The favorite booze? Yeah, beverage. Drink. I, I rarely, rarely drink anymore. Um, I'm a beer guy, but if I did have something stronger, it would just be some Glen Levitt on the rocks. So it would be scotch. If I did that, which I, I really don't anymore. Well, for me, it's uh, uh, I'm, I'm drinking now on a podcast. Yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, I always... Before the day before I go, uh, I'm going into my birthday, I usually drink heavily, but mm-hmm. I don't feel like it anymore. Um, I skip the booze quite a lot. But yesterday I saw uh, from a, a Christmas uh, gift, it was a bottle of wine, red wine, and I felt like oh, I'm I'm gonna gonna drink myself a wine. And now I have uh, d- these are two beers for for me. That's exceptional. Right. Okay. Normally, it was like two beers in fifty minutes. You know, just like yeah, doing the stuff. But <laughs> I don't. Um, I need focus somehow, and and uh, I'm I'm done with it somehow. I, I like to enjoy the stuff. You know, and that that's uh, that's a different path than just doing it just to get laid or just to get wasted or stuff like that. <laughs> I understand. That's funny. Okay. <laughs> What's your favorite food? Italian food. I mean, it's not just, yeah, it's not a dish in particular, but I love Italian food. There are like, like, I love to go to Rhode Island and spend a week on Federal Hill. I'll, I swear to you, I'll get there at 11 a.m. when they open. Yeah, then I'll bounce around to every restaurant until 11 p.m. when they close. Wow. I'm on vacation. Heck yeah. I love it. 
that that's especially when uh, we when you dig into some really dark deep stuff that yeah, you need that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need some pasta you know yeah you gotta push the beasts back in the darkness somehow yeah yeah what kind of clothing do you wear there uh is a favorite italian wear? italian anything italian um i love a nice uh, i don't know that's kind of yeah but I, I mean i like uh italian clothing i like it it's handmade tailored it's just kind of mean nice fabrics yeah oh yeah 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 good lifestyle art man yeah, yeah. Uh, is there a part of you that is italian no no uh although people believe it is i was at a restaurant one time and a drunk Italian woman straight from Sicily walks up to me, grabs my arm, and starts speaking fluent Italian. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Eureka Battaglia is what she told me. Yeah. So I got it. Hey, that was for the back door, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm so laughs> yeah, man. And, and you know, I, like I said, I, I love Italy. I love Italian food. I love Italian culture. I love the clothing. I love it all. You've been to Italy? I haven't. I haven't, but been to Europe visiting one. No, this is my. This is gonna be my very first time out of the country, lecturing at the Awakening. So it's gonna be stressful, but I'm ready. So oh, England is beautiful, really. It yeah, it, it is. But when you have the time, just just walk around there. It's it's really, it, it's an island that yeah. is really really good. Really I'm excited, nice. man. I'm excited. Once I get through the presentations, because honestly, you know, for anybody, it doesn't matter how long you've been doing this. When you're speaking in front of hundreds of people, you're, it's your very first time out of the country by yourself. It's a lot of pressure, and I, I'm not trying to sound like I'm a little, you know, a child or anything. But uh, yeah, no, I the one yeah. I get through that, I'll be like, wait a minute, you know what I mean? Like, okay, now I can relax. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, Nathio, uh, last two questions. Favorite quote? Mm. Okay, Heschel. When Abraham Joshua Heschel became a professor at the Jewish Theological Seminary, the students there were all Jewish, all very literate, and the way they structured their prayer lives was around literacy. And so you had to be taught how to mm -hmm. pray. And so one day, a new student goes into Abraham Joshua. He's a legend, by the way, especially when he was alive. Anyways, he goes into, first of all, he peeks around the corner into Abraham Joshua Heschel's office and sees Professor Heschel there at his desk. And Professor Heschel says, okay, son, come on in. What's going on? And he goes, well, he goes, my parents forced me to go here. I didn't <laughs> want to come to this school. Number one, he's like, number two, I look at all these other students. They're smarter than I am. They know how to read and write. They're very good. Like, it's not just read, but they know. It's very intelligent. He said, and here I am. I don't even know how to pray. So Heschel leans back. He's a god. He leans back in his office chair and he looks at him and he says, all right, those who do not know how to pray, we do not presume to judge. If they don't know how to pray, let them pray to learn how to pray. Wow. Don't get me worked up, dude. Yeah. Let them pray to pray. And if they have no tears to cry, let them pray for tears. I got chills, man. And, and, and let these people 
the individual, the boy he was talking to, let them find peace and strength in knowing that this too is a high form of prayer. And so that student went back to his dormitory praying, not realizing that in praying to learn how to pray, he was praying. That's wow. special for you, my friend. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, it was incredible. Wow. I'm going to post that in the uh, subscriptions. Uh, please send me send me some links and, and stuff that we talked yeah. about so I can dig sure. it up a little bit uh, easier. Um, I got a last question for you, and I okay. really, really want to thank you about this awesome birthday gift that you gave me. <laughs> Great conversation with a You're fellow. You're welcome, buddy. You're welcome, man. And uh, I really had a good time. And I think we can talk for hours about these subjects and, and dig deeper into it, uh, philosophy and, and about what's happening really in this world. Um, last question, Nate. What's your life motto? I don't really have a life motto. Just be you, unapologetically you. You know what I mean? Be true to yourself. Mm. You know, there's a lot of people in the field, at least even people that don't understand who they are and how relevant they are to the field, they're wounded healers. Dangerous. Yeah, and they're trying to self-medicate someone else's pain. Mm, very and dangerous. So, right, and what a lot of people do is they will medicate the gift they're called to manifest. And in that medicating of that gift, they self-destruct. Oh, yeah. So the point is to manifest. Manifest. Be be the person you needed ten years ago. I know that one. That's that's it's something like uh, uh, thinking grow rich. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it is, it is. If if you do the things that that are fruitful and and uh, you do that with all love that you have, and you just be yourself, and you can just look yourself in the mirror every single time, and you just think, okay, man, I'm. I'm I'm putting this off no matter what, and um, yeah, I think that that then then everything goes like it should go, and 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 nobody knows what path that we that we're gonna walk, but somehow you're gonna be pushed in a direction that you don't even know, just like you. But oh man, yeah, my my very first show, I was ever on, very first podcast or anything, it was coast to coast. Mm -hmm. Yep, my very first paranormal conference I'll be lecturing at is the awakening in England. Wow. Yeah. I was lecturing in other circles that weren't necessarily paranormal, but yeah, you know, and so a lot of things are starting to happen because I, I positioned myself and I, I paid the price, you know, sleepless nights of research and, and getting so close to the phenomenon in case studies where you can feel it looking into you. Mm-hmm. And close it up. We're good. And, and you know, so yeah, we'll, we'll see what's going to happen. But if anything, I'm telling you, my friend, this right here is evidence. Oh, that's that's it's it. Okay, yeah, it might be. It might not be. Oh my God, put underneath a microscope evidence. No, but I'm telling you, the odds of finding two. That's like finding. Okay, look, it's not a car, but it has four wheels and a steering wheel and an yeah. engine. No, it's not an engine. Car. Yeah, yeah, right. That's what I, I feel we're looking at. And if, if the fact is that the disclosure did occur in antiquity, if that is the case, that our timeline's off, our timeline's off, we have completely oh. misunderstood this intelligence. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's nice to see that, that there are a lot of timelines that are being collapsed right now. Right. 
people are waking up in several levels and several dimensions and keep up doing the good work, man. I wish you a lot of luck and success in, in you, England, Manchester. Manchester, yes. You, you will join yourself quite nice beer. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, these are the best, in my opinion, these are the best researchers on the planet, the best researchers in the world. And I get to go and lecture alongside of them. And, you know, here's the thing, I mean, a lot of these guys have PhDs. I just have ADHD. So it's a completely different <laughs> ballgame. But sometimes <laughs> if you dig into some topics, uh, like, like we do as, as ADHD people, you don't get a PhD for the stuff that we're investigating, like hours and hours of oh, yeah, yeah. you into that stuff. They don't even offer them in academia for, for the research I'm doing. Exactly. But yeah, man, I appreciate you having me on. And like I said before, have a great birthday, brother. You deserve it. Thank you very much, Nate. Uh, it was really nice to meet you. I hope we're going to do a uh, part two once in yeah, a while. Yeah, we can get into the fallen angel hypothesis. Yeah. And there was a lot of stuff we left on the table, but like, I, you know, it, it's always how it gets out. That's how it always goes. When you pull on one strand, everything unravels. It's like, oh yeah. my God, now I got to, you know what I mean? I love that because, you, you know, you, you got the experience, you got the, uh, you're an expert and authority on, the, on this one and you love to talk about it. You love to share it with the other ones so people can wrap their head around and make their own things up and they probably will unravel some stuff too. And that, yeah, that's, yeah. One, that's what it is. The, uh, it's destructive sometimes. Yeah. The, the, the research <laughs> I'm doing can be highly destructive for the people who are dogmatic about their worldview. Yeah, exactly. But th that's why why it's good that, that we have people like you that do that for them. And if you want to dig into that, you can, you can read a book. If you do want... If you don't want to do that and, you know, you want to continue with stuff that you're doing, uh, fine. But I think it's it's uh, it's time to um, unveil the organized lies. And that, right. with that being said, I think that that's, that's what this organized production uh, uh, tries to do, you know? Uh, yep. Lift up some veils. I love it, man. I love it, buddy. I'm going to get out of here, man. I'm going to take a Okay, shower. thank you very much. I don't want Have a great time. And we talk to each other uh, soon. All right, buddy. I'll hit you up on Instagram, buddy. I'll see you. Okay. Ciao. We're running for all my life With the devil on my heels He wasn't always kind And he couldn't fulfill my dreams I've been running for all my life with the devil on my heels He wasn't always kind And he couldn't fulfill my dreams He's a pain in the ass Black as a night God, show me the light He's a pain in the ass Black as a night God, show me the light And hold me tight Fulfill my dreams He's a pain in the ass Black as a night God, show me the light And hold me tight 